The following sermon was preached in the Sunday gathering of First Baptist Church of Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. We pray it bears fruit in your life, and we hope that you share it with others who might also benefit. At the same time, if you're not already, we encourage you to join a faithful local church where you can sit under the preaching of God's word and observe the ordinances. Visit firstbaptistwr.com for more information. Our Father in heaven, I pray now that you would give us a true understanding of this text and these words you revealed through Moses. I pray that our hearts would not be hardened. I pray that we would not hear with our ears and yet not hear, that we would see with our eyes and yet not see, but that you would give us understanding. Help us to hear the voice of our shepherd in this text this morning. And grant us faith unto eternal life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So week by week, as we've surveyed these first five books of Moses, we've seen how the Lord keeps his promises to his people in spite of their sin. The Lord is true to his word, even though Israel is not. In Eden, God promised an offspring to crush the serpent's head. And the blessing of that promise passed from son to son, through Israel onto Judah. We saw the Lord rescue his people from Egypt with great signs and wonders. He crushed Egypt in the Red Sea, and he took his people to dwell with him. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob offspring in land. He has given many and great promises to his people, and yet they've been stubborn and rebellious. They do not seem to love the Lord who brought them out of Egypt with an outstretched arm and mighty power. The Lord has made a way to take up residence among them, to dwell among them. He's made his people as numerous as the stars of heaven, just like he promised. And in Numbers, he leads them by the hand in the wilderness. And he tells them to go up and take that land of Canaan, which he promised them. But instead, they rebel. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the bodies of all those fighting men who refuse to go up and take the land, until all of them fall in the wilderness. Even Moses and Aaron will die without entering that land of promise for their sin. But now this last book of Moses, this book of Deuteronomy, summarizes all the Lord's dealings with Israel since Sinai. It reminds the people of the Lord's great promises and his wonders that he's worked, And it renews the covenant the Lord made with them at Sinai when he gave them the Ten Commandments. This book of Deuteronomy contains Moses' last sermons given to Israel before his death. And it gives them instruction for how they are to live in that land which he promised them, which he says they are about to go in and possess. This book of Deuteronomy perhaps colors the rest of the Old Testament more than any other book. It shapes and foretells the fate of Israel, how their history is going to work out until the time of Christ. It shapes our expectations for the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New. The book reminds Israel of God's grace to them and his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And at the same time, it reminds them of the laws that God gave them at Horeb or Sinai. And the blessing that will come from obedience and the curse that will come from disobedience. 
So the first part of Deuteronomy is a retelling of Israel's history since their time at Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb in this book. Now, if you remember, this was the mountain where God descended in fire and a pillar of cloud on the mountain and the earth shook and the people trembled in fear of God. God gave them the Ten Commandments there and the people swore that they would obey them. So they made a covenant there with the Lord to keep his commandments always. In Exodus 24, 3, the people heard from Moses all the Lord commanded them at Horeb. And they said, all that the Lord commands us, we will do. They say this multiple times. They swear they'll keep God's law. Moses reads from the book of the covenant all God's laws, all of his statutes, all these great rules they are to keep. When he reads them in the hearing of the people, they say, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And so Moses takes blood and sprinkles blood on all of them there. And he says in Exodus 24, 8, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So this blood sprinkled on them sets them apart as partakers in the old covenant. And the terms of this covenant were, Obey and you will live, but disobey and you will die. And Israel promises to obey. But if you remember what I've been talking about the last few weeks, that hasn't been what we've seen from Israel. Their history ever since Sinai has been a tale of disobedience. As a nation, they've broken their oath. Like I pointed out before, Moses didn't even get down the mountain with those Ten Commandments before they were breaking them. They worshipped a golden calf, and Moses shattered those original tablets of stone. And all throughout the wilderness, they crave meat. They grumble against Moses. They even long to go back to Egypt where they were slaves. They commit harlotry with the nations. They bow down to other gods. It's a long trail of disobedience. They grumble about water. They refuse to enter Canaan when God commands them to go up and take it. And then when God tells them, I'm not with you, if you go up, I'm not going with you, then they go up and try to take it. And without God, they obviously don't take it. They are a stiff-necked and rebellious people. And yet the Lord does not forsake them. And now Israel sits on the edge of the land God had promised them after these 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses reminds them of all that the Lord has done among them, all that he had sworn to do, all that they have sworn to do to keep his commandments. Then Moses says in Deuteronomy 4.1, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live. This is the covenant that the Lord made with them at Horeb, at Mount Sinai there, to keep these commandments and you shall live. Break them and it's your blood. Keep them, you'll live. Break them, you die. This is the covenant at Sinai. Moses goes on in verse 5, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. So Moses is clear, I'm giving you these commandments so that you will keep them in the land. They are to be kept. 
the Lord has promised them the land, but at the same time, he's also said the land will vomit you out if you do not keep my commands. Just as it vomited out the nations who were before them in the end. They are going to take the land, just like God promised. That is unconditional. But Israel living long in the land of Canaan here, in the short term, it is conditional. They are to obey this law. They're to teach this law to their children. They're to be the Lord's holy people, to be set apart. They are to do the Ten Commandments and observe them in the land which they are about to cross over and possess. Now, as you might imagine, when the stakes are as, as high as this, the risk of the land vomiting them out, bringing blasphemy on God's name, bringing infamy to the name of God as they're supposed to be His people, they represent Him poorly. These are high stakes, and considering Israel's past struggles, you might imagine there will be warnings here. And Moses does warn them over and over of the temptations that they're going to see in this land, how the people might be a snare to them. And try to seduce them to follow their gods. He says, don't make idols. Don't bow down to other gods. He restates the Ten Commandments. He reminds them there was fire and smoke on Sinai. There was threatenings, a trumpet blast. The whole land shook. And they were in dread of the Lord at that time. And they even plead with Moses that don't have the Lord speak to us anymore. We don't want to hear his voice anymore, lest we die. You speak to us. Tell us what the Lord says. But don't have him speak directly to us. So they say in Deuteronomy 5.27 to Moses, You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. Deuteronomy 6.3 says they are to hear the commandment and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with them, and that they may multiply greatly as the Lord God your, of your fathers has promised you in that land flowing with milk and honey. So again, to reiterate, if they keep the commandment, then they will live and live long in the land which the Lord promised to them. Deuteronomy 6.4, that great summation of the law. What is Israel to do? This is God's command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. Just that simple. If you want to keep the land, which I promise to give you, just love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, perfectly, forever. Simple, right? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, perfectly, forever. That's all you got to do. <laughs> all you got to do in the land's yours. But we know it's not that simple. When the Lord, when the Lord hears the people promise to obey, when they see that smoke and that fire on Sinai, they're, in, they're reverent, they're in awe at the Lord, they're trembling. They ask that Moses would speak, but not the Lord. And the Lord responds and says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. 
Just in, in saying that, the Lord is implying, he's predicting that they are not going to keep their word. They are not going to keep that commandment. They're not going to be able to. From the time the Lord has brought them out of Egypt, what has been the consistent pattern? They are stiff-necked and rebellious. That's how Moses describes them. They have rebelled time and again. So why does the Lord continue among them? Why does he keep working among them? Why doesn't he cast them off? Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 tells us, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God is clear. I didn't choose you because you were a great people. I didn't choose you because you were numerous, numerous because you were mighty. That's not why I chose you. In Deuteronomy 9.5, in similar words, he says, it's not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go into the, to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. The Lord is very clear. Israel should not be proud. He says, I did not choose you because you're a greater numerous people. I didn't choose you because you're righteous. I'm with you because I swore an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will fulfill my promise. I will fulfill my purpose. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. That's why I'm still with you. You're a stiff-necked, rebellious, unknown people. Nobody had ever heard of you before. He called Abraham out of a pagan land. There's not much lovely about them. Nothing spectacular, nothing glamorous. To put it blunt, bluntly, Israel is a bunch of no-name people from a no-name place from a backwater slough, from a pagan land. It's not because of Israel's righteousness. It's not because of their great pedigree that the Lord is with them doing these great wonders. It's because he set his love on them, is what he says. Because he swore an oath to Abraham, and he will not fail to keep his word. He swore on his own life to do these things, and he will do them. It's not possible for God to lie. When he says something, he does it. And this is the kind of security the Christian has in Christ. If God has set his love on you in Christ, there's nothing that can change that. It's not that he saw something so great in you. It's not that you were so righteous. It's not that you were so clever. 
It's not that you are so hardworking. It's not that you are more wise than other people. It's not that you are more lovely. It's not that you mustered enough power to believe in Him. You accomplished faith by your own effort. He set His love on you because He wanted to. But it's not like it's a passion that will come and go. God the Father loves you because He is who He is. He cannot change. He cannot lie. While you were yet a sinner, Christian, Christ died for you. Nothing can change that. Just as surely as Israel's sin couldn't thwart God's promises, couldn't keep them out of the promised land, so your sin can't keep you from God and all the blessings of eternal life in Christ Jesus. John eleven twenty five to 26 says, Whoever believes in Christ, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. Now those Ten Commandments that were written in stone, the threatenings of the fire and the smoke and the trumpet blast, the earthquake, the covenant of the Ten Commandments, which Israel was to keep to attain life, they broke it. They broke that covenant. Moses prophesied that they are going to break it again. This is a renewal of the covenant in Deuteronomy. They're going to break it. Moses even says toward the end of this book, if you have been rebellious while I'm alive, what are you going to do after I'm gone? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, how do we understand this? Those of us with kids might understand this. You might give your kids rules, regulations. Even if you were a perfect parent, you gave them perfect rules. You gave them more and more and more rules. You're supposed to do this. If you do this, everything's going to go well for you. If you've had kids, you know. If you give them a rule, at some point they're going to break it. It's just the way we are. We tell your kid, that's a pond full of alligators over there. Don't go into it. The first thing they're going to want to do is go check that out and see what's in there. It's just part of our nature in Adam. When I was a kid, growing up on the farm, I was supposed to help with the chores. So we'd go over to the farm, which was a few miles down the road, and my dad would say, all right, Josh, you're going to help with the pigs. You're going to help put the pigs on the trailer today. I'd say, okay. And the whole time I was thinking, I'm not going to be helping with these pigs. <laughs> and I would kind of stand there. I'd uh, shuffle my feet a little bit. And then when he wasn't looking, I'd take off for the crick. And I'd go down and play in the crick. Corrupting my brother, I took him along with me all the time too. <laughs> it's just the way people are since Adam, since the garden. We're all fallen in nature. We're corrupt. Our bent is toward sin. It's not toward the good in our natural state. So Israel is not able to obey. No matter how many good laws God gives them, they can't do it. They might do okay for a time, but they always fall. They always stumble. 
So what the Lord says through Moses in Deuteronomy 10, 16, he says, circumcise your hearts, O Israel. Don't be stubborn anymore. We're all stubborn. In Adam, all sin is what Scripture says. It's the way we are. The more laws there are, they don't help. Commandments, warnings, threats of punishment, it's all in vain. The Lord gives them a list of blessings they should expect for obedience. He gives them a list of curses they should expect for disobedience. But the emphasis here always seems to be on the curses. There's always this looming foreshadowing of disobedience. They're supposed to keep the law, but they won't because they're Adam's sons. And in the rest of Scripture, we should not expect Israel to attain to life by their own good works. Just as in Leviticus, the list of curses is twice as long as the blessings, and that short list of blessing is bookended by two lists of curses at the end of Deuteronomy. Some of the curses pronounced are even the plagues of Egypt, which they've dreaded. Boils, tumors, scab, the itch. Deuteronomy 28, 58-61 says, If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. In other words, the Lord has brought them out of Egypt, but the penalty for disobedience under the covenant from Sinai is going back to Egypt, back where they came from. Verse 68 says, The Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you will be offered for sale to your enemies and as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Now, if you remember in the book of Numbers, they were longing to go back to Egypt. And so here the Lord is saying, those who persist in longing to go back to Egypt, if you want to go back to Egypt, that's exactly where you will go. It is poetic justice. All that is to say the curse and exile from the land is what we should expect moving forward through the Old Testament from Israel. We should not expect that Israel is going to remain in the land and merit all of those blessings. But that is not to say that the final note in this book of Deuteronomy is not hopeful. It is hopeful. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. This was our sermon text. The text predicts that both the blessing and the curse will come upon them. It says, when they both come upon you, the blessing and the curse, it's prophesied that both will come. In Deuteronomy 31, the Lord tells Moses that after he dies, Israel will commit harlotry with the nations. They will break the covenant. But the Lord also promises that he will restore them to their land. He's going to bring them into Canaan. They're going to take the land, but then they are going to be exiled from the land. They will lose it. But ultimately, the Lord says he's going to bring them back and restore them to it. And then look at verse 
6 of chapter 30. Verse 6 says, The Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. As I said in the beginning, it doesn't seem like Israel loves the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Moses commands them, circumcise your hearts. But they just won't obey. This here is not a commandment to obey and they shall live. This is a promise from the Lord. He doesn't say, circumcise your hearts, O Israel, which is impossible. You'd kill yourself if you tried to do that. You can't circumcise your own heart. You cut a hole in your heart, you die. This is a spiritual promise. The Lord says, I will circumcise your heart to love the Lord that you may live. Moses gave them circumcision in the flesh for all the males. That was to be the sign of the covenant, a mark in the flesh made by hands. But did that mark make Israel holy? No, we've seen that again and again. They've disobeyed time and time again. That law could not give them life. And why? Why was that? They were sinners. Sons and daughters of Adam. Sin isn't a problem fundamentally with your outward man. It's a problem of the heart. Moses and his law and that circumcision wasn't enough to make them righteous. Moses couldn't bring them into the promised land. Moses didn't even make it himself. He had to look on it from afar because Moses was a sinner. Moses was not that son promised in Eden that I've talked about time and time again, that offspring God promised to crush the seed of the serpent. But Deuteronomy, like I said, does not leave us without hope. Deuteronomy promises a prophet like Moses. A prophet like Moses. If you want to look these up later, Deuteronomy 18.15. And then there's also foreshadowing in Deuteronomy 34.10. They prophesy the coming of a prophet like Moses, who will perform signs and wonders, who will be a great prophet like no one has seen ever since Moses. And it is to him that they must listen. Now, if you know about the rest of the story of the Bible, you know that Israel will wait ages and ages and ages for that prophet to come. When Jesus came, what did the crowd say? Is this the prophet? They were waiting for this prophet like Moses. They were all wondering, is this the prophet like Moses? The scripture's answer is yes. Christ came. Christ was that prophet like Moses. And when he came, he went up that mountain in the Sermon on the Mount, and he proclaimed his law. He declared to them his law. And he would secure his people a better hope. He would give them better promises. And he would give them a better covenant in his blood, not in the blood of rams and goats. It was Christ and his blood that would sever those calluses from their hard and wayward hearts. No law could do it. There were no external marks that could do it. Only the blood of Christ. The blood of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
that true and better Moses, the promise of his righteousness, that perfect payment for all of our sin on the cross. It's that atonement by his blood that takes away all our sins. He would circumcise the hearts of his people. John says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Israel could not keep the law for life. None of us can. We're all sinners. But Christ is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes in him. No nation has ever nor will ever keep these perfect commandments handed down through Moses. Hebrews 7.19 says, The law made nothing perfect. Romans 8.3 says, What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what are these texts saying? They're saying that there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect and holy and righteous and good, but the problem is in us. The problem is in our sin. The law cannot give us life because we're sinners, because we're rebellious by nature against it. The law made nothing perfect, Hebrews 7.19 says. Sin made the law impotent to give us life, but God sent grace and truth in Jesus Christ. He sent a prophet like Moses to intercede for us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to work wonders, to fulfill the law, to die in our place. Christ took the curse of the law for our disobedience. He took all of those plagues of Egypt on the cross. He was forsaken and cursed and plagued with the rages of hell. He endured torments far worse than those boils and tumors. He took those extraordinary plagues decreed for Israel in their disobedience. He took them on the cross at Golgotha. He died in our place. All the diseases of Egypt clung to him in his body on that tree. He took the wrath that every one of us deserve in our sin. He went back to Egypt, where you belong as a slave forever. And in his death and in his resurrection, he burst those bonds apart so that you'll never go back to there. There are no chains left for you. He's cut off that old man who loves to sin. He's cut off that calloused heart and giving you a, a new heart to desire to keep his law. There is freedom in Christ. Christ sets us free from the curse of the law. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. There's no more disease and sin left to pay for. On him was the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. He bore our sicknesses. He took our infirmities. So believe in this prophet like Moses. Believe in this man for us who crushed Egypt in the Red Sea. Who did away with all of our sins. 
He's nailed all of your sins to the cross. He's nailed all of those righteous requirements against you. All that debt that stood against us. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're a nobody from nowhere. Christ died for you. He's crucified for you. So repent. Believe in him. Receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Everything that you might think is valuable in your life, in your natural state, and that old man, it's worthless in comparison to that glory and that life that is found in Christ and in living a life for him and for righteousness. Believe in him. Forsake the world and sin and find glory and riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ and his cross, all that he's done for us. We know that he has done what the law could never do because of our sin. All of us fall short of that righteous requirement of your law, but Christ fulfilled it in full, every last jot and tittle. And so if we believe in him, his righteousness is ours. Father, let that be so for each of us and work in us a lively faith that we would live a life of gratitude to you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Pray in his name. Amen.